As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. And well, Paul, there's no real sense in delaying it. This is the final episode of Allocation Disorder. I am leaving The Athletic for a job outside of journalism at the end of this week. And sadly, the show is a casualty of that decision. Um, Paul, we, uh, we created this show, I believe, almost five years ago now might not be remembering this, and please correct me if I do, I might not be remembering this exactly right, but I think we were having a beer at the Long Room in Chicago when we sort of thought up this concept of an American soccer podcast that discussed all of the behind-the-scenes things that you and I are so passionate about, not so much about the games, but the forces shaping the games. I was working at MLS Soccer at the time, you were working at The Athletic, and your boss, George Qureshi, who, who later became my boss, told you to not do the show like explicitly he was like don't no, you're not allowed to do this you did it anyway (laughs) uh (laughs) you me and david goss uh on the first edition which i think came out in in january 2019 and we released one episode and then you got in a lot of trouble um i think (laughs) george not the first time this as this podcast would get me in trouble I think George kind of got after you and was like, why did you do that? I said you couldn't do that. And then you did it anyway. Um, it all worked out in the end, happily. A few months later, I got hired by The Athletic. And, and almost a year after that, this version of the show was born. Um, a major assist to George for that, as well as to the Total Soccer Show family, Taylor Rockwell and the late Daryl Grove. Uh, and then later on, Joe Lowry, the... Uh, the the main initial producer of this show. Um, since we launched for the second time, I think as we both dreamed up back at the long room, we became the world's leading labor relations podcast. Um, well, maybe not that. But we, <laughs> we, we have been very lucky. Um, we've traveled the world and, and we did the show in Central America, in North America, in Qatar. Uh, and that's just an insane blessing that I'm forever going to be grateful for. I'll also forever be thankful to all the people that listen to this thing. I think when you and I started this, we just started it to start it. We were like, you know, I don't even care if anyone listens. <laughs> we just want to do this thing. But thankfully, people did listen and, and people did enjoy it. And and so thank you guys so much, all of you that that share our passion and have created this this little community that has been so receptive and friendly. Um, it's been so cool to, to be a part of that. And, and so thank you for that. Um, I'm also really thankful for all the people who helped this thing along over the last three years. I, I mentioned a few of them already, um, but also a massive shout out to our producer, Mike Zimmerman, our editors, Alex Abnos and Brooks Peck, some of our coworkers who have hopped on and made this thing hum at various points when Paul was taking eight months off a year to have children or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Felipe Cardenas, Josh Cloak in particular, they, they were on the show quite a bit. Pablo Maurer, Jeff Reuter, 
Matt Pence, formerly of the Athletic, Matt Pence, Meg Linehan. I don't think we ever had Steph on the show, but you know, shout out to her anyway, and shout out to Mike Smeltz too, who, along with Mike Zimmerman, um, really kind of guided us as as we put together that the long form series that we did on the U.S. men's national team ahead of the World Cup last fall. Um, mostly, though, I'm thankful that I got to do this with you, Paul. It's been really, really fun. Um, it's been stressful at times. You know, back in back in the day when this was a regular 11 p.m. taping, um, that wasn't the best for for my life. Uh, but it's always been incredibly rewarding. So thank you for your uh, podcast ship. Not sure that's a word, but thank thank you for your friendship. Um, I'm excited for what's next for me. I'm not going to tell you guys about it just yet, maybe ever. But I'm very sad to leave all of this behind too. Um, and I hope that everyone listening has enjoyed the show. Half as much as I've had, or as I have. There we go. Stumbling on the last line. Appropriate, I think. Um, But thank you. My sincere gratitude to everybody for listening and for everyone that's helped us along. So there you go, Paul. I don't know how to make this a a clean transition. We are going to talk about some stuff on this podcast. It's not going to be a four-minute Sam talks into a microphone thing. Um, But yeah, man. It's the last one. Sad. Yeah, I mean, you know... I'd I'd like to give full credit of the show going away to you leaving the athletic, but I think we should also acknowledge that once the allocation order died, uh, we decided that the allocation <laughs> yes, order go on? could not go on either. Um, <laughs> and so it's been just a slow, slow death. What was that then. a month ago? Yeah, yeah. We um, we tried right we tried to time. persist. We tried to persist, but we could not. Ultimately, no. it was too too big of a blow to us. The universe knew. I mean, it was like very closely timed to like when essentially when you were figuring out you were going to be leaving and when allocation order died. And it just felt like the symmetry was too much. And um, it was cosmic written in the stars. Yeah. No, I, Sam, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm actually I, I, I pulled up our initial conversations in our group chat with Goss, which is called allocation disorder. Really? Um, and I'll go I'll go through some of that in a second. But you know, I think for me, you, you, you and I liked the same things in MLS. Like we liked the nerdy, stupid, ridiculous rules, breaking them down, understanding allocation money and allocation order and discovery rights and all of the intricacies. And the idea for the podcast kind of started there. Um, but I don't think either of us, I'm not sure either of us expected that it would lead to what it's led to, which is like a really, really important friendship and camaraderie that we've had with each other from the moment you joined the athletic um, over the last few years. Uh, Certainly couldn't have anticipated some of the the trips we took together through qualifying to Europe. You didn't think we'd Um, go to Hamilton, Ontario? Hamilton, Ontario with, with Josh Cloak, having some homemade pizza and, I think really like the thing I enjoyed most about doing this podcast with you is I thought it was like a pretty genuine picture into our, our friendship, our, uh, co-working relationship, all of those things mashed together. And yeah, I I mean, you and I have talked about this. Like, I don't know what happens. I mean, like, I don't think allocation disorder can go on without me and you, I don't know what like my podcasting future looks like, but I think the reason this worked was just because like over the years, like our, you know, it was just a, a peek into our friendship and, and the fact that our minds work similarly and yet like also sometimes, very differently. Sometimes probably too similarly for the sake of this show. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, but we ignored so many comments telling us to stop repeating the same things over and over again. We ignored <laughs> people telling us that we needed to prepare yes. more for the show. Eh, no one really um, ever told us that. That's not sure. And no one really told up. us to prepare. We would just go on to other podcasts where things were much more prepared and we'd come back to each other and be like, wait a second. Like, uh, do we want to stick with like our phone call 10 minutes before the show starts? <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to do this week? I don't know. And we were both like, yeah. Um, so I'm really grateful uh, that, that this happened. And to all the people who kind of put their efforts behind it um, and and to everyone who's been listening to it, um, I'm sad that it's going away. Don't be, um, but- don't be sad that it's going away. Be happy that it happened. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, Miles but I now, now that I'm sad about it, I thought we should go back through the the process of how we named it and like where it started. Yeah, because because Goss definitely contends that he came up with the name, but I told I, that to you yesterday is, and you disagreed. There you have, is you have uh, receipts, Paul. <laughs> there are receipts here. I mean, it starts. I don't even know how deep I want to go into this because some of these are probably like whatever. But like one of them was <laughs> visionary chance creators. <laughs> The Blaze and Fuko and Kuvo show. <laughs> the Jossie's Artist Comeback Podcast of the Year. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> the Major League Soccer Soccer Podcast. No, that's that's uh, the podcast of choice, which you know yeah. became a tagline. Yeah. yeah. Um it gets better. Actually, there are some pretty good ones in here. Um well then you started guessing what the episodes would be where we would just name episodes after random MLS players, regardless of the topics. Oh, we should have done that. Episode three, Nick DeLeon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote episode one, pass. <laughs> episode two, pass. Um, oh, that's like a re-entry Jeff joke. It yeah, took exactly. me a second, sorry. Uh, signed on Discovery, a podcast. That's pretty good. Homegrown Territory. No. Uh, and, then, and then on December 18th, 2018... I send a text allocation. I said the allocation disorder or allocation disorder. And then I put some taglines to it. The next two allocation disorder where we have messy on discovery, which is <laughs> apt for today. Yeah, it sure is. Allocation disorder, Mike Burns, favorite MLS podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you texted allocation disorder is great. Goss, are you good with it? So okay. uh, sorry, Goss, but I go. did come up with allocation. We disorder. have, we have proof. Of course, Paul could have made all of that, that up just now. Um, You're on the group text. I so mean, like you can also, know. I've had like four phones since then. I don't know how <laughs> to save anything. I'm pretty bad with technology. So I don't know that I'll be able to look that up and verify, but you know, I'll just take your word for it, Paul. I'll trust you on this one. So this is going to be um, definitely a different kind of episode. I think a, a very navel gazy kind of episode, um, which, you know, maybe that's a little uncomfortable. Uh, Paul is showing me the text. I can't read those, man. My, your, my screen's small. I, can't, I believe you, okay? <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so so we'll, we'll take a few trips down memory lane. I don't know, Paul. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the interview that you did with Don Garber as well, because there were some interesting things to come out of that. Um, but of course, this isn't just the end of this podcast for me. Uh, this is the end of, of my writing as well. So that's well, been a journey too. But um, Well, I think it's important to say like, look, you've you've obviously carried the piano. You've carried the podcast this whole time. And yeah, so I think that that is important. I think it's time so, right. you know, for me to carry the podcast. Yes. Um, and to host it. And on yeah, that note, also, obviously. Let's this ask is, Sam questions about Sam. This is my this favorite This is the game. last podcast of allocation disorder so like my tenure will be a short one but a very important one <laughs> um sam i think it's important to kind of I, I think you know we've talked about it here and there on the show but like to go through your history of covering soccer because for us i think part of what made this doing this podcast fun fun or different or important or special is like not we important. did find Definitely we not. Did, we did find, no, for us, not for anyone else. Oh, okay. Um, is that we found this little community of My people bad. who also care about the stupid stuff we care about. Yeah. Um, and it's like a community within this community of people who care about American soccer in the U.S. Actually, it's not true. There, We might have listeners outside the U.S. But, and Canada. Yeah. But I think it's always... For me, it's always interesting to find out how people got into this world. And and I don't know if everyone knows your story of like, why, why, Sam? MLS? Why? Why soccer? Why, why MLS? How did you do this? How did you end oh, up Oh, man. I mean, I've and, told and this. And it starts in college for you, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've told this story elsewhere. I don't think I've ever really told it here. It's weird, the journey that I had. So I was a senior in college um, and... Go cats. I was looking for jobs and I didn't think I would be a journalist. I had covered the Chicago fire for MLS soccer primarily during college. I was driving down on Saturday nights to watch some really bad teams at Toyota Park. <laughs> yeah, you got to start there. It wasn't you were you you did start covering the fire in college. Like, that is true. Okay, so spring break of my freshman year, my dad said, "What what are you doing for work this summer?" And I said, "Uh, I don't know, working at Famous Footwear like I did in high school." And he was like, well, what internship are you getting? And I was like, 
ah, freshmen don't really get internships, dad. And he's like, no, like you're doing work that is relevant to your career. <laughs> Do something, son. <laughs> and I was, I was like, he's like, you can still work at Famous Foot wherever you want to, which I did, by the way. Um, but I emailed Ivis Galarsep out of the blue at my dad's suggestion. He's like, you're reading this soccer blog all the time. Why don't you email that guy and see if you can do something for him? I'm like, come on, like, that's not going to work. And he's like, you have to do it. And so, okay, I did it. And Ivis said, sure, you can write for me in Chicago. (laughs) And uh, he let me do that. And I did that for, I think, three weeks. And then the Chicago Tribune at that time had a soccer writer, Paul, a full-time soccer reporter, a guy named Luis Aroyave. And um, I, I skipped ahead a step. I did I did soccer by Ivis for three weeks, and I was so bad, just so bad. Please, no one go find those articles. Like I I I'm like cringing just thinking about it. But after three weeks of that, I got hit up by some guy from the Tribune Company, being like, "Hey, we're starting this network of blogs called Chicago Now, and we need somebody to write a fire blog. Would you like to do it?" And I was like yeah, sure. You know, like I can get, I can write more often. I can practice more and, you know, I can get paid like one eighth of a penny for every 5,000 page clicks I get. Like, sure. Why not? So I go into Tribune Tower. I'm 18 years old. I'm like so intimidated. I go into Tribune Tower to learn how to like run the website. They're training me on the CMS. And that same day, Luis Ariave quit covering (laughs) the Chicago fire and like switch to like a nightlife nightlife be right yeah, yeah. yeah and so they had a hole on their fire coverage and the fire were actually good at this point in time this was 2009 blanco was that's still how on the long team. you've been in the business yeah. blanco was still on the team and so they they wanted to continue covering the team and they had me on you know they they had already like i i'd submitted my bank account to them and all of that stuff so they're like well do you want to write articles for the tribune and i was like I was like, uh, are you sure? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like literally, like, I I never wrote for my high school paper. Like nothing. My first journalism class in college wasn't until January. This is like May. So I've written the first article in my life like four months before. I was so bad, Paul. And and like this just goes to show like how lucky I got. Like it wasn't they just hit me up out of the blue to do this blog. Like I emailed Ivis out of the blue to see if I could come and just people said yes. And like, I got so, so lucky and like, what a privilege that is. Um, so yeah, so I did that blog and I, and I was a stringer for the Tribune and, um, they did not invite me back to be a stringer in 2010 because, <laughs> um, because I, I was very late with my copy and the 2009 Eastern conference final between the Chicago fire in Real Salt Lake. That was a zero zero game that wins penalties. That is so MLS. Can we just talk about that for a second? Yeah. The Ned Grabovoy, I believe conference finals. Yeah. Ned Grabovoy won with Real Salt Lake. Yeah. I think two future MLS GMs were in that shootout. Ned Grabovoy had the winning kick. I want to say for RSL, uh, and John Thorrington missed for the fire. Brian McBride, I believe was in that shootout too. future USMNT GM. Um, so a lot of, I guess, star power if you want to call it that yeah well it's, um, it's full circle right it shows like how long you've known these people what the relationships are like and actually sam i'm gonna skip ahead a little bit or i guess not yeah, too much i was getting too boring. actually you don't actually, want to let me talk about myself i could go I've, I've known sam for a long time because sam <laughs> I, i'm guessing this was your senior year I think we've yeah. told this story on the show sam, sam but, cold emailed me at the washington post to, to ask yeah. for advice which by the way is also funny because i was like two years into my professional career i had like you were at the washington three, post man. three years like i was and, like uh, i was like i was like i'm never gonna be able to get a job in journalism i'm gonna go be a consultant and and like i was like let me email this paul tenorio guy and paul's like yeah we can talk also can you host my brother at northwestern no, i waited a week like, after in, in a week <laughs> <laughs> just you know you got to make sure you're taking advantage of all the relationships you make yeah um what did you do for me nothing no, i'm kidding I, well <laughs> i think this podcast would say otherwise <laughs> so yeah so fast forward a few years um you know I, I moved to mls soccer when that started up in 2010 that was due to Nick Fershaw, uh, who is a great guy and is a tremendous writer. Um, and I did that for a couple of years and then senior year rolled around and I was literally, I was going to go be a consultant. And, you know, I emailed Paul and I emailed a lot of other people. 
Paul's brother came and visited me. I lost him. <laughs> <laughs> I found Paul. I was like, wait, you're here and I'm I, I'm hosting your brother. That was weird. Um, I didn't live on I didn't live at Northwest. I wanted him to have a true school experience, which he did thanks to the people that you left him with and then <laughs> left him alone. So <laughs> if was, I had known more time. about you, I wouldn't have entrusted my brother to you. But, you know, he uh, you live, you learn. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And I was going to go be a consultant and I, I had an I had a job offer that I was going to take. And then, um, you know, somebody I knew at the fire, Brendan Hannon. Uh, was like he knew that I was trying to work in soccer and he's like hey there's this job at Real Salt Lake doing comm stuff would you be interested and I was like well I'll have the conversation and then I got that job in 2012 did it for two years and I would say the rest is history but no there were some more twists and turns no I mean I think you know I think what's notable Sam is you worked for a few years in comms he left the comm side of things and you were writing again and I don't think people realize like you were working at a restaurant in Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I don't know if we talked about it on the show or not before, but one thing I was Dashi like. Dashi Ramen, I, I if you're like ever in Durham, is, go hang out. They're great. Like, one, what, what story was it that you broke that you were like scrubbing a toilet at Dashi Ramen when it got published <laughs> that you were like super nervous about? But, no, it, was, it wasn't a breaking news piece. It, was it your gam a, for gam piece? Gam no, for tam piece? no. I, I did a big feature on Kyle Beckerman. Um and it was like at that point, like the in my mind, the biggest and best feature I'd ever written. And it literally published as I was scrubbing a toilet at Dashi <laughs> before my shift started. So that was yeah, that was an interesting peak. time. It's a little peek into like the the work that you put in to get to the point where you know where you worked for the athletic. And I, I and and that was your first full time journalism job was at the athletic when you started in 2000. And well, yeah, my first with benefits anyway. So, so yeah, yeah, I moved to North Carolina and without a job. Um, I left RSL just because my girlfriend, who's now my wife, hey, and Guzzy, you're not listening to this. That's Our wives okay. don't listen to this podcast. I mean, they listen to us all day, every day. Why would they listen to this? <laughs> exactly. Um, and she had a job down there and so I moved with her and, and I worked at an ad agency in a basement for like four months. I quit in very dramatic fashion <laughs> again without a job. <laughs> at, least, yeah, at least you have something lined up this time. As you're and, and then I just, I was like, I had done some feature stuff for MLS just kind of for fun. And, and, and so I, I picked up some desk shifts and then I started writing more and I worked at Dashi and I did that for three years in North Carolina. And then MLS was like, uh, they made me like a full-time freelancer sort of, which, you know, meant I, had, I was, I was full-time in every way, but I didn't have health insurance. Um, and then, yeah. And then, uh, Paul helped bring me to the athletic in April, 2019. And, and everybody listening probably knows most of the rest of the story, but, uh, yeah, man, it's, I've been so extremely lucky along the way and like a lot of breaks, um, a lot of hard work for sure. But like, this journey is so random and there are so few jobs in this business, which is sad. And there are more now than there were 10 years ago. Thank God. Um, but the number of soccer reporters or editors or podcasters in this country, it's, it's small, the people that actually make a real living for it. And I'm so thankful that I was able to do that for a while. Um, and I hope that that, that the numbers of those people continue to grow because I think one of the things that's been demonstrated over the last however many years, a long time, but real coverage of the sport in this country, there's a market for it. Um, people are interested in it. And I think, you know, not to toot our own horn too much here, but I think it's part of a healthy ecosystem, like good real journalism is. It can apply some healthy pressure for some positive changes and, and, and you know, increase interest too. And so I think like ultimately all that shit that I did <laughs> scrubbing toilets and and like writing stories like i i would write stories longhand on pieces of paper like drafts like at the desk the host stand at that restaurant when it was slow so and then i would go home at like 11 when my shift ended and write up whatever i needed to write up until 1 30 in the morning like that was like something i did every week <laughs> and like all that stuff that i did i did it because i really love this and and i really like wanted to be a part of growing the game in this country and i think that's a common attitude for a lot of people in our position paul 
and and hopefully more people that care about the this in the same way that we care about it will continue to to move into these positions and, and sort of continue on the work. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think like we, you know, we we joke on this podcast a lot because we do hear from people who say you guys are too negative listeners and stuff or, yeah. you know, you harp on the same points or sometimes I say that to you. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. certainly like conversations we have with people who are who we have relationships with in the business, people who are like strictly like professional relationships who who have a beef with our coverage, not just on this podcast, but like our coverage in general, or our writing, I would say our writing, the tone of or the, the types of stories we write and the way we approach them. And I think like you, as you and I talked yesterday about like this being your last episode and this being your last week at the athletic, like as we reflected on that, you were kind of like, I mean, like there, there's a reason why we did this. It's not like we did it because like, we don't, don't like MLS or don't like American soccer or don't want this. It's like the opposite of that. It's like, when you care about the thing you're covering, bringing a critical eye is is sometimes the best way to, you know, to force people to to create accountability and people to force people to think sometimes. about how they how are they building something. And, and there there hasn't been a lot of that that's existed around MLS because of the nature of of soccer coverage in this country right now. The lack of full time jobs, the way people have to kind of grind to exist in this world, you know, this crazy American soccer world. But I, I think it's important, you know, important part of kind of like how you think about your time, especially these last few years at the athletic is like, there was a reason why you were working as hard as you did and, and why you were telling the stories you did. Yeah. Well, it's cause we really care about it. And, and I just want to emphasize Paul, this, like my journey is not uncommon for people in this business. Like a lot of people did things like that. Like for longer amounts of time, a lot of and people are things like that. A lot of people are still doing things like that. People that you know and that you read every week or listen to every week are still doing things like that. And so, you know, like this is a labor of love for so many people. And I don't know. That's one to me. That's one of the coolest parts about this whole thing. Not not that it has to be a labor of love. That part kind of sucks. It's part of the reason I'm, I'm getting out of this. But that it, like that people are so passionate about it. Like people are crazy for this stuff. And, and I think ultimately that'll drive the game to a better spot. I hope that. Um, and I'm glad that this whole business, at least in terms of numbers of people with jobs and numbers of people with platforms and the kinds of people that have platforms, it's a lot better than it was like five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly. And hopefully it'll continue on that path because there, I mean, I don't know. I'm obviously, <laughs> You know, I've, I'm coming at this through a lens, but I, I, I believe that there's a market for good quality stuff. And hopefully there will be more good quality stuff and more people picking it up as time goes by. But we'll see, man. Like, I don't know. It's, it's an exciting time in American soccer, I would say, for sure. And Canadian soccer. Yeah. I mean, you and I, <laughs> you and I have like, have experienced this. Like, it's, it's, you know, covering, for example, the US national team through World Cup qualifying, you spend a lot of time with your colleagues, with people in the sport. And I think like for me, at least I, I have conversations with people where you recognize and you can see for some of them, how much they care about the, the sport of soccer and how for a lot of people who have been in the business for longer than us, um, you know, they were doing it at a time when no one, no one cared. Right. You and, think back to like Grant, right? 
Yeah, or, I mean, or, like, or even, even like, somebody like like Paul Kennedy for from sure. Soccer America. Paul Kennedy, you go all the way through to like Brian Strauss, and when those guys were starting, like th- it was like you were f- you were trying your best to get people to care to put your stuff in yeah. newspapers and and without a ton of readers, without a lot of feedback. But like when I I'll bring I'll use Strauss as an example. Like when I talk to Strauss, like he has played his whole life. Like he cared when no one cared, and and that comes through in his coverage and in his writing and it and it 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 goes to the conversations that we have at dinners and bars and hotels when you're on the road like you're with people who care the way you do and that i think impacts you as well to recognize that like there are a lot of people who have had past like you sam or brian who's worked for different organizations as you know was that sporting news and they got rid of their soccer coverage you know like that impacts people and you have to kind of constantly ask yourself like why soccer why am i doing this and and <laughs> and like and it's because you you care about it and I, I, it, wonder, yeah. I wonder sam i mean like i mean like we joked on this podcast i think about the fact that like on the way home from i can't remember if it was from the world cup or i think it was from the friendlies before the world cup like i ended up paying for wi-fi on my flight i was exhausted going home from from spain <laughs> to continue our like sicko group chat with another friend of ours who works in the soccer industry where we were just talking more about soccer after like a solid, you know, whatever it was, two weeks. In <laughs> this Spain was when I wrote the story about the Berhalter system and like, yeah, yeah, that, I think that's what that chat was. About. It was like a 5,000 oh word gosh. manifesto on the Berhalter <laughs> system. And it, well, and- I came home and my wife had COVID. She had gotten COVID that's while great. we were away. And so I, I, booked myself into a hotel nearby just so i i wouldn't get it because she was it was passing and i only needed to stay a couple nights but i wasn't really doing anything in this hotel so i was like kind of like there's that famous scene from it's always sunny where charlie is freaking out over pepe silvio like and he's got all the things on the bulletin board and all the lines and he looks totally crazed like that's like what i was at this like fairfield inn <laughs> <laughs> Your- Airfield is the perfect brand for this, you know. <laughs> well, it is a Marriott brand, Paul. So it is a perfect brand for you. I do stand for Marriott. True. <laughs> and and but just to the point, like like the people that are in this really love it, and hopefully that shines through. And and I'm excited for where this is all going in terms of coverage of American and Canadian soccer because the people that are in it, there's a lot of young people coming up. Um, they all really love it, and they give their heart and soul to it, and that's that's what this needs. I wish it wasn't, but that's what this needs. And that, to me, Paul, gets to it. One of an, this is such an inside baseball discussion. I hope people are still with us here. But an interesting element, an interesting tension in how this sport is covered in these two countries, really. But there's like a, a dynamic where on the one side, you're an objective reporter and you're covering it like anyone would any other sport. But on the other, there's like a sense of boosterism in a way. And, and I don't mean it in the traditional like rah rah like we have to like 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 build all of this up, but like I mean it in that all of us want this to grow, <laughs> all of us want this to get bigger and better, and we don't want it to just be what it is now. We want it to be something more dynamic and more cool and more interesting, with better players and better teams and better crowds. And so I don't know. I've always felt that there's a weird tension there. I mean, my own journey, like. I have been a paid booster of Major League Soccer or Real Salt Lake in specific. And I have been, you know, on the other side, like writing a story where <laughs> a guy who signed my checks, like exposing some of his behavior that led to him selling that team. Like, so it's it's just like a weird ecosystem. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really think it exists to this extent in other sports. And it's not like American soccer is wouldn't exist without journalism. That's ridiculous. But I think there has been certainly a sense that okay, we need to try and build this up and try and try and get it. I think it's less now than it was before. But I'm curious to see where that goes. I don't even know what you think about that. I don't know if we've really had this discussion before, but that's that's a feeling that I've had for a long time that I didn't articulate super well right there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is also like a weird dynamic to it too. Like you are working in an industry that feels like perilous all the time and like yeah. you 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 have a sense of what it could be. I think that's certainly come through in our coverage, like our our 
frustration at seeing where this could go with a different tact here and there or different or, or um, how fast it could go right yeah. the urgency behind it or the the willingness to push it a little bit faster but part of it is just understanding like i mean i don't know i came back from the world cup and it's like you re- you you walk back into this world where soccer is not the most important thing and after being somewhere where like it is the most important thing it was i mean at the world cup in Qatar, it was the, quite literally the only thing Right. And it, it just was like a, a very stark reminder of where this could go. And yeah, like you do have that dynamic where you and I like always say like our goal is just to cover this the same way the NFL is covered and yeah. bring a critical eye when needed and bring a, you know, fun eye when needed. And and like I'm looking up at like the Orlando City playoff story I wrote, like that was just fun. You know, that was like recalling a fun, crazy, wild MLS wall? game. What do you mean you're looking up at it? I have like the, it doesn't matter. I just, oh, reminder your award. Of like, uh, Paul's an award winning journalist, guys. <laughs> so, it's, no, you know, I'm not going to, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not biting that, Sam. I'm not going to bite. I'm not going to do it. Um, but like, I do think that there is this back and forth of like feeling a, re- a great responsibility to, and it's not always easy to like both report on something in a case and have to write columns on it. But like, a lot of us, we don't have columnists like other sports do that can can be the opinions and you're the reporting. Like, y- y- there is like a sense of doing more, but also wanting the sport to succeed in the country, to be what it is in the rest of the world. Um, yeah, it's a weird dynamic. Um, before uh, we've been we've been talking a lot, long time, and I'm okay with that because it's your last episode, and that's usually what we do is ramble a bit. I'm gonna be we, mad we, if this we haven't had a rant. We haven't had a rant yet, but I, I do think like we can pivot a little bit to your last few opinions on things um at some point but i did want to ask like when you look back on the whole experience like was there i i wonder if there's like an interview or a moment that stands out to you as like a couple of your favorite moments of things that you experienced (laughs) that like you wouldn't have imagined and i'm sure like there's difference like i i'm not to usurp your moment but like whether it's like being at kuzkatlan or whether or the difference between that and like an interview or an interaction you had with somebody um, that that stands out. I mean, there's there's so many different ways to go with this. Yeah, um, I mean, there's so many. Cuscatlan would be one. Um, I mean, I tried to take a moment at every qualifier and and certainly at every game I went to at the World Cup to just like breathe and take it all in and be like, damn, this is really cool. I get paid to do this. I think you sort of have to lead with with gratitude in those situations. It's easy to get jaded and cynical in this business, and ultimately, we we're like living a dream, Paul. Like this is what. I dreamed of. I think it's the same thing you dreamed of when, when like, you know, you're trying to think about what your career is going to look like. And so like, that's amazing. So Kuskalan, that was incredible. That would be one for sure. Uh, the USA Iran game. I mean, I'll never forget that. Um, but there, I mean, there's so many moments, man. Like even before I was a reporter, like when I was at RSL, uh, the 2013 final, like I was on the field for the shootout like with the players and the coaches, like I was down there on the bench in that area. Like that was incredible. Um, you know, so being able to get to do things like that, meeting people, you never thought that, that you would meet, um, traveling the world to sort of like tell a story. Like, you know, I, like I went to Amsterdam for a day to like bike around Serginho Dest's hometown. That's what I did. I didn't even really talk to many people there. I was just like talking to the locals and being like, Hey, do you know Sergio Dest? And they're like, kinda, he plays, right? And I was like, Yeah. And they're like, and I'm like, Did you know he's from here? And they were like, He's from Almir? They're like, what? <laughs> I didn't even know. But I was just biking around in the rain, like around this city that's like sort of in a park. And like you just get to do things like that and talk to normal people and experience the world and you get paid to do it. And then you get to go home and write a story that sort of transmits that and gives off a sense of, um, a sense of place, a sense of an individual, um, you know, a moment in time and and like those opportunities. I mean, there's, there's, I haven't really thought about this, but things like that will always stick out to me. Um, there was another one where (laughs) when I was working at MLS soccer, Paul, you maybe, I don't think you were there for this, but you definitely remember the story. We were in Orlando at the Rosen Center for the Combine, which is where it was a strange hotel where everyone stayed. And MLS Soccer had me do like a, an anonymous survey, sort of. 
of of GMs about different prospects. And one of the people I talked to said something about Tomas Hilliard Arce, who went, I think, number two to the LA Galaxy and never really played in MLS. But like something, I don't know, some line about how he was like a CEO on the field or something like that. Like, I don't know, something dumb. And Bob Bradley had read it and like was just like, what is this? What is this? Why are people giving these anonymous quotes? <laughs> and just like went on like a long rant about it. He's like, is the CEO on the field? Who cares? He doesn't need to be a CEO. Can he play? Can he play? <laughs> so stuff like that. Um, you know, I didn't intend to say the coach's name, but it just kind of came out. And then I did the impression. And here we are. Now um, you just, yeah, just so rolling whatever. downhill. I'm, I'm leaving the business. So that doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, things like that are super cool. I'm trying to think of like any other interviews. I mean, I interviewed like Sir Alex and Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes one-on-one in a hotel in Chicago when I was 19 and interviewed is a loose term. I sat next to a camera while they were on camera and I read a list of questions that had been emailed to me, but like, <laughs> in, like some of which were about barbecue in Kansas city, like, <laughs> But of course, I mean, at the same time, like I was like, what is this? Like, this is so weird. Like, you know, I got to like even just for the podcast from Kuva to Qatar, Paul, like CBS had an event at Brooklyn Bridge Park. And I went down to get some sound from Thierry Henry and those guys about the national team. And Thierry Henry turned it and and asked a question on me to me. And I gave my answer. And he did like his little like French, like Gallic, like you know, kind of like juts out his chin and his bottom lip and like just kind of like nods his head in approval. And I was like, holy crap, man. Like Thierry Henry is like, like that I'm like, I'm, I'm well in the journalism game at this point, but even still that was kind of like, Oh, that was cool. (laughs) All right. Thierry, he agrees with my opinion on something. That's fun. He approves. I got Thierry's approval. So I don't know. There's so many things. What are some of yours? doesn't need to be all about me. No, I mean I'm still in I, I'm still in the business, so I can't uh, I can't start doing Bob Bradley impressions on this <laughs> podcast. But <laughs> can you do a Bruce Arena one, maybe? Bruce is fun as well. I I did an interview with Bruce um, in must have been 2019, where actually a couple interviews with Bruce. So the first one was the first interview he ever did as Rev's head coach, actually, and it was before they were playing Chelsea in a friendly, and. It was, I don't know why, but they, they take us down to like that field level club. You know, when you watch a Patriots game, they don't do this for normal revs games, but when you watch a Patriots game, they have those fans that are field level behind one of the end zones. Yeah. We were in that area and we're, we go down into like the indoor part and we're sitting at a table and there's like, I don't know, a dozen people in this place. And there is a DJ blasting music. Like me and Bruce are having to yell at each other to hear. So <laughs> so we're like, okay, let's go outside. It's not much quieter, but it's a little quieter. So we're going outside. We're right behind one of the goals. And I can't remember if it was the Revs or Chelsea, but one of the teams is warming up and they're shooting. And so balls are just like flying past our heads. <laughs> and Bruce is giving his answers, whatever. And at one point in the interview, he looks down at his hand and he's just like, huh, I'm bleeding. <laughs> 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 and that derailed the conversation for a few minutes but yeah he was bleeding and then i did another q a with him later in the year where i think i don't know he called something the stupidest thing he'd ever heard of and then like literally two years later, it must have been something with the supporter shield because two years later he was arguing the opposite point <laughs> yeah but that's um, what i love about bruce bruce would be a great <laughs> co-host to replace you on allocation disorder and actually and the whole interview we're in his office at gillette stadium and the whole, he's training and just ended and so he's in there and he's wearing warm-up pants and a warm-up top. And he's on a couch just like laying down on his side for 45 minutes as we're doing this interview with like his <laughs> legs up, like he's like posing for Playgirl. And I'm just like, this is this is quite the experience. <laughs> so that's the real picture into what it's like covering major league soccer. Yeah. I mean there's Catalan, all that other stuff. Yeah, no, like the real picture. There's a lot of weird stuff, man. But, um, you know, I've had coaches yell at me before. You F with me, I F with you. That was fun. Um, I can't say more about that story, but it was a good one. <laughs> Even some things are not made for Some of you listening know that one. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many, man. Like, it's just been such a, a gift and a blessing. And I, and I really just like want to keep, keep saying that, but I want to keep emphasizing it how lucky I've been able to do to do this. Like it's been such an incredible journey. I've lived a dream. Um, 
and you know, sometimes it's time for something new and that's where I'm at right now. But, uh, you know, so, so, so thankful. So, so lucky to have been able to have done this and, you know, I'm excited and I'm, I'm hoping that I left this little corner of the world in a slightly better place than I found it and that people enjoyed my coverage and that, you know, it enhanced their knowledge of and their enjoyment of this sport. So that's what I'm hoping for. But well, on that note, suppose. let's take a little break and let's come back and get your final thoughts on discovery rights and other important. Actually, can things. I say one more thing? <laughs> yeah. There's one other thing that I meant to say. And, I, and this story was like a turning point for my career. And I mean that like sincerely. I already know where you're going with this. I did a story on TAM cam gam conversion rate because it was, I think it was the first TAM for gam trade. It wasn't, there was not even a player involved. It was, just, I think, Toronto and DC. They did a TAM for gam trade. And I did like an, ex- like, it was like, what? And so I did an explainer of like, okay, here's why teams would do this. Here's why this goes for a little bit more money than, than this. Here's why TAM goes for more money than gam or whatever it was. And I got so much feedback from like people in the business about that story being like, thank you for writing this. And like, it sort of weirdly put my name on the map in a strange way. <laughs> so anyway, that was a strange one. I wanted to mention that before, before we take a break. I, I, I will never forget your gam for damn TAM conversion. And I, I mean that seriously <laughs> because I was the, you know, that was like very much in my, uh, you probably, you probably saw it and, and were like, damn it. Why didn't yeah, I do I was, that? Exactly. And I was like, wait a second, someone else is doing this now. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. We'll be back. we'll be right back. Allocation disorder. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com/courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Sam School is leaving us. We have a few more minutes left with Sam on the mic. And so I figured I'd ask a couple questions, see what he's willing to, to spout off about and whatnot. But I, myself and, and Pablo Maurer, we recently sat down with Don Garber. Uh, got about 90 minutes with the commissioner, actually. A full 90. A full 90 minutes. Did anyone and, have to um, be subbed out? No. You guys made it? We made it all the way through. That's good. Um. And, you know, I thought for me, one of the more interesting things that came up, I actually wrote a column about it for our new Monday MLS column that we're running uh, every Monday this season. So check those out. Um, but what what stood out to me was that Don Garber spoke publicly about a kind of governance study that the league did. And the, I guess, what's coming out of that governance project is essentially... Um, an MLS university of sorts where they want to work with teams, uh, especially lower performing teams to get them up to the standards that they believe every team should be performing at. What prompted the question is that we had heard through sources that there was a change to the revenue share. And that was significant because a lot of the bigger teams that have been more successful, who have spent more money, who see more butts in their seats have been frustrated that the revenue share has stayed the same and the revenue share basically what what was it 6733 for a lot of different categories of things so ticket revenue would all go into a pot and then be redistributed to all the teams right. the and and you know we've seen there there's been changes for certain things like homegrown sales and things like that that you know for teams who are doing well in those areas they get bigger benefits but this revenue share thing hadn't changed and and so I asked Don Garber about that and he said, look, the focus is not just on the revenue share, though he acknowledged that that did change for the first time in, quote, 15 to 20 years. Is how do you know the it. specifics of it? No. Okay. But I do know that it is. it seems like it is much more tied to 
performance in your market revenue. Like, like how many tickets you're selling, how many local sponsorships you're doing, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think the, the teams that are doing better in those areas are keeping more of their own money. Um, and and that essentially means that other teams need to catch up. And and it's a, that's an important moment in this dynamic between yeah. the, I don't want to say the new and the old, because it's not always that way, but the more ambitious and the, the less so. The strivers and the stragglers. And, you know, I thought it was important, though, that that Don Garber noted, and, and this is what I wrote my column about, that, you know, fixing those legacy markets, getting them up to a better level is a big challenge that MLS faces. And, and the way he put it was it's easier to be new than it is to be improved, which I would agree with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a conversation with a, a team executive about this issue, and he said, look, it, it'd be fine if MLS expands to 32, but you can't tell me that going to Detroit or going to Sacramento or going to Tampa would be more important than fixing Chicago, fixing New York, fixing Boston, fixing Houston, fixing Dallas. The more important area of growth for MLS is to fix those legacy markets. Easier said than done, Sam, but I wonder your perspective on how MLS should go about doing that and, and how fixable are those markets? Like, do you, is there a clear Mm. path or is there a path to, getting people to care in Chicago, for example, is not just about spending more money, right? And I don't think it's just about results either because we saw New England set the record for most points ever and that didn't change the dynamic completely or permanently in New England. Uh, I think that's selling. They, they had a good attendance last year. They had year. a good attendance yeah. that year, but like, is it sustainable? It sold a and lot like, of same with Chicago. Tickets. The investment is yeah. there. Is it, and it hasn't really led to results or changes. Mm-hmm. Like, how how would you think about this if you're MLS? Well, I'm glad you brought it up because I think this is one of the first things I wrote about at The Athletic. I, like, came out, like, the first week there and just, like, a lot of things that I was not allowed to say at MLS soccer. I just kind of, like, emptied the chamber real quick. <laughs> and I believe this was one of them. Um, and it's the, been the biggest problem facing MLS for a long time, I think. You know, you, you have all these success stories, like you said in newer markets primarily those markets are are wildly varied and disparate you know you have austin on one hand a a, certainly a growing city but a much smaller market then you have like lafc in atlanta massive places that are doing great and charlotte like another smaller city that's that's going bananas commercially um so i think that's really positive how do you fix it? I mean, I don't know. If I knew that, I would be commissioner of MLS, right? I think some of it is structural. So when I look at the revs or I look at NYCFC, like they need a stadium. NYCFC looks like they're getting one in Queens. Yeah. I think that will be incredible for them and for MLS. Uh, like fantastic, right? Like super, just like like game changer. The revs have been looking for a stadium for forever in Boston proper. Um, it's really hard to build in Boston proper. Like there's not much space. Uh, the room that you do have is super expensive. Um, and you know, the, the crafts I think have shown over the last few years that they are engaged and that they are trying. And I think that's resulted in better on field product than we've seen from new England in a long time. And, you know, I think when the results are good, they'll get decent crowds and attendance, but it's always going to be capped when they're in Foxborough. There's just no way around that. Um, so I think for those two stadium, right. I think Chicago falls into a similar bucket, right? Like, could the fire be better and get better crowds if they are winning more games? Of course. Right. But as long as you're at soldier field and as long as you're, you know, sometimes it's Hoda park or seat geek, whatever it's called, um, like you're going to be capped. And so some of it is just that it's that structural element. Other markets, Dallas, Houston, I mean, Houston has the downtown stadium. Like Dallas is not downtown, but they have their own stadium. Colorado, similar. I think if Colorado was able to get into downtown Denver, that would be a different sort of situation. I think if Stan Kroenke spent money on his team, <laughs> that could be a different sort of situation as well. There's no real ambition there. So so it's different reasons in different places. And I think you need, you need to identify all of them. But I think the main thing, man, and you know, this is an oversimplification and probably reductive, but ownership needs to treat the team like they would an NBA team or an NFL team or a premier league team. If you treat it big league fans will notice and respond. I think we saw that with Atlanta with Arthur blank, right? 
He treated it just like he treated the Falcons at launch. And look what happened. LAFC, they're treating that like a first-class sporting operation. Stan Kroenke, Clark Hunt, like they know how to do that. They have the last two Super Bowl winners, <laughs> the Rams and the Chiefs. You know, like they know how to run successful sporting organizations. Like Kroenke has Arsenal, which has you know, not been great, but they're doing okay this year. Like they know how to do it. And, you know, it's just will they do it in MLS? So far, no. Um, but they have the capabilities. And, and I think that's the part of American soccer that is really exciting and also like absolutely drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, but there has been this this thing where I understand. I mean, the Cronkies, the Hunt, they've been involved for a very long time. And I think they've that's been kind of a, a, a crutch in a way. But as this league yeah. has grown now, we've gotten to a point where you hit this breaking point of like, how do we rethink investment? How do we think about what makes this market tick? Like to your point, and, and not just to your point, to Don Garber's point, that was his point is like, we will go into these teams and we will work with them to rethink how can we be relevant? How can we thrive in our local market? Yeah. And you're right. For some of it, it is, I think it's the idea of new, right? Like people point to Sporting Kansas City of, of the rebrand as being what sparked that. There are well, these like inflection points. Inflection yeah, points. like that, that rebrand happened in conjunction with a, a new stadium, stadium mm-hmm. and ownership group that was taking more control. And the, the team was surprisingly good that year. Right. And it, it kind of worked. Mm-hmm. The fire, you have a new owner who comes in, spends a lot of money on the team, moves them out of Bridgeview, but you go into Soldier Field, it's like falling apart. The stadium needs to be redone. The Bears are leaving, but they're still there. The field's getting chewed up. The on-field product is terrible. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just have one of the pieces. No, it has of the to equation. be. A, it has to be a perfect storm of these things, and it's hard. You, how do you time that right? There's no recipe. You have to get lucky, but you have to be really good, and you have to get really lucky for all of those things to hit and, at the and same time. I actually time. don't think you need to be like amazing at soccer in that first year like Cincinnati is a great case study of that like they were literally the worst team in the league well, but with when, the new stadium the excitement have, around them when you have the history a, right with the legacy do. market like the executive I spoke to kind of said you know it's hard because the history of that team is very much tied into the perception of the market like people in Boston know that the revolution exists and they might've had an experience where they went to a game and it was kind of like, ah, oh, that was fine. Or, ah, oh, that wasn't that great. I'm not going to go back. So how can you make them think about it differently? And it can't, as this executive said to me, it can't just be changing the logo and changing the name that doesn't do enough. But like, if you were to move into a new stadium, like I do think that stadiums have a lot to do with it in some of these markets, because then the attraction is I want to go check out the new stadium. Yeah. Yep. And then you get that new experience it's of not, what the environment that's not looks a, like. That's not a cure-all, though. Look at DC United. Sure. You know? Um, sure. So, I mean, for me, Paul, ultimately, this comes down to one thing and one thing only. The owners have to be willing to lose more money in the short yeah. term. Yeah. Like that, and it's easy for us to say yeah, that. Yeah, right? like that's it. Like, like, all right, how do you do all of these things? Well, you have to make your operation first class in every single way. And how do you do that? Well, you hire the best people. You hire more people. And I'm not talking about on the sporting side. I'm talking about on the sporting side, in the ticketing department, in the marketing department, on the comm staff, everywhere, all of it. You run it like a first-class operation. How can we be the best in the world at this particular thing? That has to be the lens that you view it through. Well, how can you be the best in the world at that particular thing? Money. It's going to cost a lot of money. And I get why owners don't want to spend a ton on those things. They're losing money on most of these teams already. But if you want to make like a big step function sort of gain, it's going to require like a big step function kind of investment. <laughs> and ultimately, in the long term, that could really pay off. But there's hesitancy to do it in the short term, which I think is understandable. And also, I think MLS has done a really good job of increasing valuations across the entire league. So if you're an owner, what's the incentive? Your valuation's going way up anyway. You can just kind of free ride. And, and and so the revenue share, I think, is good. Or changing the revenue share, I think, is good to sort of combat that. But ultimately, it's just going to come down to individual owners and ownership groups saying, okay, we want to be the best at this, not for any financial um, motivation or, or reason, but we want to be at the best at this just because we want to be the best at it and we believe in this. And that's going to cost a lot of money. 
Some teams have done it and it's paid off, right? LAFC, I think, are doing okay financially. Atlanta seems to be doing okay financially. But other teams haven't really done it. And uh, we'll see if they ever do. All right, we're going to go quick fire here. Sam, Messi to MLS. If he takes an ownership stake, worth it for MLS? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there was more to that question, but yeah. Do the you think the dude's still at the t- like maybe not the top top of his game, but he's still, if not the best, one of the best players in the world. Yeah, and and I want to clear something up because I think this is kind of what this podcast is for sometimes, um, which is explaining MLS roster rules. Like people have been saying, oh, of course, you know Don Garber is willing to bend the rules for Messi the way he was willing to bend the rules for Beckham. Of course he like, is. <laughs> well, first of all, like yes, of course he is. But second of all, they did change the rules for Beckham, but because they changed the rules, they don't for have Beckham, to change. They don't need Messi. to for Messi. Yeah. You can compensate Messi with however much money you want to, as long as he's a designated player. The change here would be if they did offer him an ownership stake in a team that already exists or one that he's playing for, that would have to be approved by the rest of the owners. Like any minority owner would have I mean, to be approved. Technically, at a level. everything's approved by the every contract's approved right. by the league. So, but but yeah. I mean, Garber was specific in saying that, and I think that's important to know. But it, there wouldn't be any rule bending here. Like if Messi's a DP, he can be paid as much as he wants to be paid. Would anyone and be mad if there was? By the way, I don't think you could be. It's messy. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Garber pointed to a few candidates for expansion. Let's just go over all of them from 30 to 32. San Diego seems to be the leader. Vegas, yeah. he seems like set on going to Vegas, but he did acknowledge. I thought this was important to maybe lost. Did, you, did you ask him? Apart? Yeah. Yeah. Why did it fall apart? Essentially because the cost of the stadium is going to be so high yeah. that you have to find someone willing to take on that cost. They need a domed stadium there. That is significantly more expensive than the stadiums we're seeing built around the country for Major League Soccer, like significantly so. Phoenix would fall into that same category. So by the not way. only are you asking for a potentially five hundred million or more dollar expansion fee, but you're also having to build a stadium that's going to be equal or more in cost. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about billions before the team steps on a field in investment. Just a totally different level. Uh, Detroit, Phoenix, and Tampa are the other possibilities, and Sacramento. Um, I think San Diego seems to be happening. Out of those other I mean, markets, we'll Vegas, Detroit, Phoenix, Sacramento, and Tampa, yeah. are there two that stand out to you? Vegas, Detroit, Phoenix, Sacramento, Tampa. Are there two that stick out to me? Um, I, I would kind of like to see Detroit. I think that's just the Midwestern in me. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. But I, I think if you look around the Midwest, particularly with the newer markets, Cincinnati, St. Louis in particular, like the St. Louis game the other night was awesome. Like that crowd was awesome. That was so cool. Like that's what we want everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, I think Detroit in a lot of ways, like it's been very well documented, isn't exactly the demographic or the trend that MLS wants. Um, but I think in a lot of ways that city could be receptive to an MLS team. It's a crowded sports market though. Uh, Vegas, I think is actually a super saturated sports market now, like yeah. with the Raiders and and the golden Knights and baseball, maybe at some point. Yeah, um, and it's a small city in general. I think Phoenix would be great. I think Phoenix would be awesome, but you, you're dealing with the same problems you're dealing with in Vegas in terms of the expansion fee. You're going to have to have a roof there too. Yeah. Like it's yeah. hotter than Vegas, I think. <laughs> like, so, you know, that's going to be the, a crazy level of investment too. So, uh, Tampa, no, you don't need another team in Florida. Um, San Diego. Yeah. So I think San Diego, Detroit, and I don't know. What was the other Phoenix, Sacramento, Phoenix. Las Vegas. Those Sac- other. Sacramento would be cool, but I think you need something. Need something bigger to move the needle. Let's say Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, I also think like when you think about homegrown territories and, and the like that it kind of falls into that where like RSL want- would be getting screwed if Phoenix <laughs> came in. They lose Arizona. Um well, I don't know. I I wanna I'm gonna shove away from the Garber and the news to go back to the fact that you're leaving. Um, because we're here, we're coming up on an hour of recording and uh that means we made we're it to an up. hour. Yes. Um I just I, I, I just want to say thanks to you, Sam. You've been a great friend, great coworker. I don't think I would have made it through qualifying in general without you. Um I think keeping you keeping keeping each other sane, uh, splitting up a lot of work 
keeping each other on task at times and, and, uh, not on task, (laughs) not on task at other times. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I I know you're going to be very successful in the next thing that you do. Um, I know the dynamics here are going to be different and, you know, maybe you can help me figure out what I want to do next with the, with the podcasting world, whether I, whether I find a new co-host and do another show, whether I do my own thing, I'm, I'm going to lean on you to help me figure that, that path out for sure. But it's not going to be the same without you here. And, um, I appreciate every single one of these episodes we did, especially when you were super patient with my two young children and doing it late, late at night for me, late at night for you at ridiculous hours. Um, <laughs> not as East late Coast. as we did after the qualifiers or world cup games, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, those, those were, I mean, the Qatar 7am podcasts after morning prayer, that was, that was a, a trip as well. So, um, thank you, man. And, uh, we're going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. Uh, I joked, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I joked with, with a lot of people about this, but I still have on like the new iPhone, you can tag three conversations at the top of your text messages. And it's my wife, my mom and Sam. Um, wow. you're, you're definitely, you're definitely losing that spot now. Cause I'm, I don't think I'm going to be communicating with you as often as I do now, but I don't know. I'm going to wait and see. We'll see how it <laughs> you goes. You don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes to show just like how close, how close we've become. And, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it all. And, and um, I'm sad that uh, that this is the end of allocation disorder. But I, I'm really, really glad that we did it together because I think we were able to put something something special together, man. Yeah, I think so, too. And thank you, Paul, for those nice things that you just said. Um, I think I'm going to take the last word here on my last show. But again, just to reiterate, thank you to everyone that listened, that helped make this a reality. Um, this has been really fun. Not just this podcast, but this whole ride and soccer journalism. Um, my new thing isn't entirely out of this space, so I'm not all the way gone, but you'll definitely be hearing from me way less. <laughs> I'm not going to be tweeting nearly as much and I barely do that anymore now anyway. So, um, but thank you to everyone that, you know, has had a conversation that has taken the time for an interview that there, there are just so many people, Paul, like, you know, this that have helped, any reporter, but, um, have helped me along the way. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's no real way to give back to those folks, um, other than to say thank you. So thank you to everybody. Thank you to you, Paul. This has been awesome. It's been, uh, it's been a dream like, you know, work. Um, (laughs) I don't know. What's that old saying about have a job you love and never work a day in your life. (laughs) Um, this has sort of been one of those. And, and a lot of that is, uh, is thanks to you and thanks to our other friends on staff. Um, and thanks to Dunkaroos too. <laughs> the initial sponsor of this podcast. Um, but yeah, so thank you to everybody. This has been uh, just an incredible journey. And um, yeah, Sam and Paul signing off for the last time. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.